Enter through the narrow gate. Oh, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Um, we had a member here um, who was one of my former professors. And uh, uh, he's uh, retired now. In fact, he's with the Lord now. He died of COVID. Um, but his name was Daniel Deutschlander. Um, I don't know if you knew that he died of COVID, but he did. Um, and he wrote several books for our synod. I, oh, at least four or five. I can think of five off the top of my head, maybe more. Um, but he wrote one wonderful book um, for personal Bible study and devotion called The Narrow Lutheran Middle. It's a wonderful, wonderful book of, um, of essays and sermons about the idea of the narrow gate of, and of the narrow way of the Christian life because there are, uh, boy, pitfalls on both sides. I'm teaching my youngest son, Eric, to drive right now. And uh, uh, we went to Cortland last night and which is the only way to Cortland right now is basically Highway 68. Um, and so we're on 68. And Eric, like I think probably all new drivers, is more concerned about the center line when cars are coming at him than about the white line on the other side. You know, and so he tends to favor, you know, getting over too far to the right when, you know, when traffic is coming at him. And I understand. But boy, I'm looking down below me at the, at the abyss because those are some 45 degree angles coming down in the, in the, in the, in the ditch, on the, you know, out in, the, out in the woods on the way to Cortland there. And I'm thinking, how many times would the van roll before it finally came to a stop on my crushed head? You know, and uh, all of that is basically in a single sigh. <sighs> you know, it's a, but that's, that's where it is. And, um, but uh, those steep, steep sides of the narrow road, the, 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 the narrow road that leads to life, because on one side you have the sinful world, and on the other side you have the devil and his temptations, and, and, and then my own sinful human nature gets involved with both of those. And, and uh, the way, the true way is... is, is, is sometimes difficult to find and it winds around and it's, it's, it, is, it is a hard way to go. Um, uh, but it's there and Christ is there as our guide. Um, uh, with, uh, sometimes with confirmation students, I don't know if I've done this in a sermon for a while, but I, um, I have a, like a little homemade uh, compass and uh, I know you, you know the answer, but how many, how many degrees in a compass? Do you know? 360. Very good. Right? Um, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that's degree number one, how many degrees don't lead to heaven? 359. And the devil doesn't care if I'm going to degree 180 or 90 or 270. You know, in fact, the devil would be happier if I were going at about degree number three or maybe 357. 
Because then I would look like I'm going, you know, I, I, would, I would maybe think that I'm going to heaven, but I'm really not. He's got me. He's fooled me. Um, there are so many paths that don't lead to heaven. And Jesus said it's a broad road that leads to destruction. And if you think of it in those terms, as there's just this one little path and everything else leads to hell, that's a lot of choices to make that lead to ruination. Only a few find it. Um, I think of some of the language of the prophets where one-third, only a remnant, only a small group were brought back, things like that. Um, which is going to have a bigger population, heaven or hell? I think hell. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think of my mother-in-law's bathroom where... She has a couple of passages up here and there, and and then and then one of those non-passage, you know, good sayings, with you know like a, a bird and the sunset or whatever it is, and right above the bathroom mirror, I think it is, and it says the only thing you can take to heaven, you know, or the only things you can take to heaven are your children, which is a delightful saying, you know, and in that household necessary. Not all of her kids believe anymore. You know, a, a pastor's family, but some have gone astray. Um, all right. False prophets. Watch out for false prophets, Jesus says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I didn't think I would have to ask this, but this morning I found out I do. What, what uh, is the sheep's clothing here? Yeah. Yeah, false doctrine, any but but anything that looks good but isn't. So it there there's a um I would I would use the word veneer. Uh there's an outward coating of 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 what is right, but inside it's not. It's it's ruined. The wolf um only wants to look good enough to get in among the fold and then start starting to tear people apart. Um, he doesn't have to look good forever. And sheep's clothing isn't going to get you even, you know, all that far. Anybody who's watched the Roadrunner knows, or the Coyote knows about the sheep's clothing and how far that gets you. Or maybe it's been too long, Herb. You should watch more Saturday morning cartoons. I know, I gave it up a number of years ago. Well, they're, they're back, and I'll tell you the channel if you want to know. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> On MeTV, and I'll, uh, that's all the commercial I'm going to give it. But yes, it's back. Uh, and it's seven days a week. But, uh, but, um, but now Jesus gets into this idea of fruit, which is going to take us almost to the end of the chapter. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So it, uh, 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 it's not the outfit or the outward appearance, um, but you've you got to take the doctrine itself. And start bite, start chewing the fruit. Um, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. 
A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This happened in my childhood. Uh, my childhood friend, Mike Migau, had, uh, they had apple trees in their yard in my hometown. I don't remember if it was three or four. We would climb them and pick apples and eat them right there. But you knew there was one tree you didn't eat from because they'd be spoiled before they were ever big enough to pick. It just never gave good apples. Um, and eventually, I think they cut it down and burned it because um, it was just, you know, what, what good is that? Um, and, uh, uh, but it's not, it's not as if I have to make sure my fruit is good. If my faith is good, What's God looking for in me? He's looking for good fruit. But we have to remember that the fruit of two different repentant sinners will look different. It can be the same sin. They can be relatives. It could be uh, 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 me and my brother, okay? You got two, we're roughly the same age, same Christian values and same upbringing and everything, and it might be that we commit the same sin, but my brother's repentance and his fruit of repentance may look different than mine. It may look a lot better than mine. Mine may look kind of wimpy, and his may look, you know, really good and, and big. Um, and does that mean that one of us is a poor Christian or a good Christian? No, we're both Christians. What's God looking for? Fruit. But it might look different from between two individuals who otherwise don't have a lot of difference between them. Um, I've gone over this sometimes with, with, with different Christians who have had a problem with, uh, well, they're repenting, but they should be doing this. Well, you don't get to program what people's repentance is going to look like. Because it's going to be different in everybody. And... Sometimes you want someone's repentance to look like this, and it kind of looks like this. And other times you want their repentance to look like this, and they surprise you. Um, but it's always going to be different. And you can't judge the Christian either by the size of their repentance or the quality of their repentance or whatever it is. Does that make sense? It, it is a point, though, that's disappointing to people when they find out that what was expected of them might not be expected of their children. You know, and it, that might have to do with, to be honest, false doctrine in a previous generation where the fruits of repentance might have been commanded and you can't command repentance or its fruits. You can suggest and you can um, encourage, but you can't say this is what it has to be. Uh, oh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, I have a quote there in your, in your handout. It comes from a long, long time ago. But it's, uh, hell is paved with nothing but tonsures. Does anybody know what a tonsure is? It's a monk's haircut. 
That's the tonsure. Uh, and, uh, and so what does that mean? Hell is paved with monks' haircuts. Well, because for a long time, and look at this, going back to the 400s, there were people who thought that by leading a life dedicated to Christ was how I get to heaven. But I don't get to heaven by what I do. I get to heaven by what Christ did. And so there are so many who might think that by becoming a nun or a monk or a priest, that that must be a good thing. Well, it could be a good thing, but that's not what gets you into heaven. It's not your works. Your works are the fruit that reflects the faith inside. It's the faith, and it's who the faith is in that counts. Um, so go ahead, Herb. Yeah, we don't know what he means by God. He could have been a mason and could have said that or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what you did was you put the best construction on every on, on it, and uh, and then you realized afterwards, oh, but I don't really know. Which is why the confession of faith is so important. You know, the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, to know who Christ is, is the, is the key. Uh, Jesus expands on this here a little bit. Many will say to me on that day, that is judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your na in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Um, oh, it's a frightening, terrible verse. A great sermon on the law of, of, of what is required. Um, can you name somebody in the Bible who did prophesy or perform miracles who we're pretty sure is in hell? That came up this morning too. Balaam, the the uh, the, the um, uh, um, Balaam, the opponent of Moses, um, was he a believer? God certainly spoke to him. Um, I I don't know if Balaam died with faith. I do know when he died, because we do have that presented to us in Deuteronomy. Um, but um, did Balaam have faith? If he did, he certainly died without it. He had turned away and gone the way of Israel's enemies. But that, that came up this morning too. Anybody else? I was thinking of two in particular. A, a fourth one came up this morning also that I wasn't expecting. I don't think I can remember who it was. But I was thinking of um, Judas. You know, Judas uh, was sent out among, with the twelve to go and preach the gospel, to prophesy in Christ's name, to perform miracles. Judas may actually have driven out demons and could even, based on the text, he could have raised people from the dead. 
but then died rejecting Christ. And then I also thought of Saul, King Saul. Uh, not, not the Apostle Paul, but, but King Saul, uh, uh, David's opponent, because how many times is Saul about to do something really wicked and the Lord almost throws the Holy Spirit at him so that he starts prophesying instead? And so, oh no, but then Saul ended up dancing into town with the prophets and people were asking, is Saul also among the prophets? Um, but he's one that ended his life by suicide also. Um, Joanne? Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, they, they were certainly members of the church um, and then lied about such a dumb thing. How much is your, what, what percent is your offering? You know, why not just say, well, it's 60% and not, and not 100. And Peter would have said, well, it's a great gift, thank you. But instead, ooh, it's 100% and zap, there they are dead. You know, um, uh. and you could, maybe you could go back and mention, I don't know, uh, uh, as far as scripture goes, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, there's another guy in there um, among them who, uh, who turned away and then, um, but were they, were they always unbelievers? They were among Israel. They painted you know, blood on their door frame in Egypt, came out, came through the Red Sea and everything and then got swallowed by the, by the ground and so forth. Um, but of course, mostly in our time, who do we think of? Probably those TV ministers and people like that and the David Koresh's of the world who, who uh, say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Um, therefore, has anybody else here been to Spring Green to the House on the Rock? I, um, I, think, it's, I think that the structures got it wrong because it terrified me. And it should be a gospel presentation to have that kind of a name. But that long corridor that hangs out over the abyss and I just thought I was going to die. I didn't want my mom to poke me to go out but she made me go all the way to the end and uh, to, to look down. And What? When I went you could go into it. At least my mother made me go down. That was about 1967 or whatever. I don't know. Maybe the rules have changed now but we could well therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock and the rock of course is Christ in my part of town Herb and Joanne used to be my next door neighbors um, uh, the, 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 the ground under Jefferson Street, I'm told, was terrible once upon a time. And when they, the town expanded there, they filled it all in with big coarse gravel and stones and things. That's what's, it's, but it's stone below our houses there. Yeah, gravel pit. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his own house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Do you remember those houses in California a few years ago and the, the, uh, 
The cliffs were giving way and the million dollar mansions were falling into the ocean. There's nothing anybody could do about it. They were um, they just going. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Um, so Jesus, with the golden rule, the Lord's prayer, the Beatitudes and the other comparisons and this... Um, I'll, I'll call it comparison, not quite a parable of the house on the rock, has shown us so many things about the building of the kingdom of God and the way really God builds his church in our hearts. Um, but there you have it. We'll continue again then next week with chapter 8 and following and get into some of the miracles and parables of Jesus. Um, until then, God be with you all. And thank you so much for letting me do this. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.